listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Joining me tonight is Three Moves Ahead founder, Troy Goodfellow. Troy, welcome to the show. It is good to be here. I'm tired, as are you, but here I am. Yes, the madness of ParadoxCon is at last uh, behind us, and uh, we've all finally made it home safely and sound, uh, and only a little bit worse for wear. Uh, and we're also joined by someone else who is hanging out with us in uh, Stockholm at the, uh, at the expense of Paradox, uh, getting some of that sweet, sweet corruption money. Uh, Rowan Kaiser, welcome to the show, and how are you spending your bag of loot? Well, I gave my girlfriend half of the chocolate, and uh, I'm saving Pillars of Eternity for release date, the, the chocolate bar they gave us, not the game, and uh, going to take that to uh, my local podcast, and we're going to divvy up the Pillars of Eternity chocolate. It's pretty exciting. Good deal. So tonight we're going to be talking about the Heroes of Might and Magic series. Ubisoft just re-released Heroes of Might and Magic 3, uh, an HD remake, and I reviewed it for PC Games N, and it seems like a good time to just sort of look at the entire series and uh, its sort of place in strategy history and its, its legacy ever since then. And um, I'll, I'll be honest, when, when I first sort of conceived of this topic, I, I thought it might be one of those topics that is in danger of turning into a love-in. Uh, but fortunately, we've got Rowan here to play the loyal opposition... And uh, Troy, well, I'm not actually sure where you stand, Troy. Um, since since you're the old timer, since since you since you're the person here who encountered these games as an adult, uh, <laughs> why don't you tell us a little bit about the series? And um, you know, you know, at the time, where did it, you know before it sort of achieved this classic status? Um, you know, how how did you sort of greet the series? Well, it came along in the mid '90s, and it was. Um... <sighs> hard to explain this is a time when there was there's lots of great rpgs going on um and not a lot of great fantasy strategy games happening uh in the mid 90s so this in many ways was a game that scratched a kind of itch where you were creating fantasy armies and marching them through very colorful worlds and then fighting hex-based battles so it was a very simple battle system and it remains a simple battle system which i think is one of the appeals of the game um, the tactics are, aren't very complicated. The battles play out quite nicely. Um, the campaign is, you know, you're a hero army trying to overthrow a tyrant. As I recall, that's what it was uh, in the first campaign. And they seem to follow that same pattern all the way through. It was... Um, trying to think if this is... When did XCOM come out? 93? Yeah, 93, 94. So this is, you know, it was after XCOM. Uh, so you have the idea of, you know, these... Go ahead. It's just going to say, this is like the first generation of fantasy strategy games after Master of Magic, I think. Yeah. Um, and we have um, these tactical strategy games uh, going on at the same time. We have XCOM, we have Jagged Alliance in the air in the mid-90s, but nothing really fantasy-focused, uh, which is where th this game comes in. So you have heroes forming armies, leading armies, and they have the heroes have magic powers or they're the strongest unit in Heroes of Might and Magic, uh, three at least, uh, the one that's just come out to each team, and the hero kind of stands aside off the battle and just casts spells. In other games like this, there are super units on the battlefield. And there's a lot of walking around. They're, they're, it's turn-based exploration all the way through, and it kind of stood out 
I think, um, probably because of the fantasy element more than anything else. And the more I've, and this is a game, this is a genre, so I think you can call these like HOMM likes, that really I don't think has aged all that well. And I think we can probably talk about that. I probably kind of come down more on the Rowan side uh, than on the Wow, wasn't this awesome side. Um, it's not a style that I think has aged well in many ways, but it's clearly a very influential series and it's quite popular. You have, I, I, there, I'm, I would not be surprised if there are mobile games that follow this exact same model. I know that they've tried to port this stuff to Facebook because it is such a simple and reliable uh, genre. In the mid-90s, I don't want to say it was a breath of fresh air, but it was the, it was a game that was in a in the air with all these different tactics proper tactical RPG, tactical strategy games. Here we have a tactical fantasy RPG, because it's really more of an RPG, I think, than a strategy game, though you do have resource collection and unit building. It's this weird mishmash. I think that's kind of what made it stand out at the time, was that it it reveled in just how much of a pastiche it was. Yeah. Um, it's just like, why the hell not? Fairies fighting dragons fighting minotaurs. Let's do it. And so it created this, you know, sort of strategy uh, framework that let you just have these ridiculous army fights. It, it, was, where... it was a real monster manual dump attitude yeah. towards the yeah. army creations. Why not have griffins? Uh, give yeah. me an archangel. Have a bunch of how many? How many demons do you want? We'll just do all kinds of demons. Uh, and there's, you know, it is really like somebody open the you know the notebook they were drawing fantasy drawings on in school and then had them armies fighting each other and, and the art itself is very D second edition oh yeah in a lot yeah. of ways yeah just just the way they're just the way all the characters look sort of that because the, the yeah dnd second had the was a really lavish uh series of books and it was full of these sort of bright vibrant paintings of, of these monsters and yeah they all do they all do make an appearance here uh, i'm a little concerned that i'm gonna be the odd man out again uh this is gonna be the, <laughs> this is gonna be the close this is gonna be the uh the close combat show all over again yeah but we all liked we all we all liked close combat. you didn't like it enough you guys were sitting there like a bunch I of like assholes heroes. just picking at it I like heroes. I just don't love heroes. I don't. I'm not. I'm not on the all-time classic. I'm on parts of it are hmm. partially okay. all-time classic. Here, here's my theory. Here's my theory. Uh, I, I think the game. I think the game itself has been damaged a little bit by years. Of, first of all, the series stayed around too long. Like we, there, This is. I think how many how many games are there in the series? There's like seven. The sixth one, um, I think, like finished its expansion round last year or something. So right, no, okay, yeah, and I'm seeing on Wikipedia there is a Might and Magic. They renamed it Might and Magic Hero Seven uh, is is due out at some point. Um, also, boy, enjoy that rebranding too. Uh, but so, so the thing is, though, I, I don't think there's any way anyone needed seven games out of the series. Uh, and, and I think that's part of the problem with, with the Heroes of Might Magic series is it just hangs around so long that uh, eventually it sees itself become a villain. I think it's also that the fourth and the fifth and to some extent the sixth were just not well received and weren't considered to be even good Heroes games, let alone like a just over the top in amount. They were also steps backward. 
Well, and that's but, also when uh, New World Computing stops making them, right? Yeah, around yeah. that time. So, so maybe they were they were fantastic games, and you know, people just hated them because the originals left. Well, well, we'll come around to that. But but the but the other thing I, I suspect a little bit is. Heroes of Might and Magic, even if you haven't played these games, you've probably played parts of them. Like, this this series kind of got chopped up, and parts of its ideas have filtered out into other games. Uh, and I think with very mixed results. I think probably the most successful heir to the Heroes of Might and Magic franchise is the King's Bounty series, uh, which is superficially similar like you're still taking an army around this overworld and taking all these this random grab bag of like traditional fantasy units uh and doing battle with them but in king's bounty it's actually not a strategy game at all um it is really more of just a linear it's semi-linear you can you can approach objectives kind of in any order but it's not like you're really being opposed on the overworld map by by another intelligent uh, player you're basically just doing the battles portion of it again and again and then there's a whole lot of wacky story stuff happening along the way and that's probably the clearest you know uh, descendant of the heroes of might and magic franchise and there you've got they, they've basically only done half the game uh and i'm not sure there are many others who have managed to sort of strike the balance that the that the first three Heroes of Might and Magic games uh, struck between the tactical and strategic layers. Yeah, I mean, the, the, one of the big differences between the uh, Heroes games and the King's Bounty and, Dis- and Disciples games is that you cannot win the Heroes of Might and Magic games with only one army. Um, whereas King's Bounty and Disciples, you can just build one super army. You just take it around doing all the quests. It's not a problem. You can build multiple armies, but you don't really have to because all that does is let you clear the map faster. But then you end up losing units, and it's a pain in the ass. Um, whereas, you know, here's a magic. It is, that's where the, the strategy stuff is. It is building different armies, and because you can lose resource nodes, you might want to protect them with whatever... Um, and or you know grab somebody's magic gem pond because mm-hmm. I think because of pond gems because <laughs> that's gems that's how are, it worked yeah, then that, that that's how it was back then uh, so the fact that you have to have multiple armies and that's you know it's, it is the you know master of magic um, the master of magic type level. It is. Um, I think you're right. That's and it's an, it's a very important distinction. That's where King's Bounty is really more the RPG than the strategy stuff. It really is, you know, just the battles and the hero upgrades. There is. I'm not saying Heroes of Might Magic is a big strategic level because there really isn't. I mean, the maps are generally very wide open. There are a lot of. It's not like you can you know set up a grab a strategic point and defend it because you know you walk around people pretty easily uh, in the game. But it does let you hunt, hunt and hunt and kill enemy armies which are moving around, which are trying to grab your stuff um, and take you down. And I think that's a very important distinction. It's worth noting that. Uh... The original King's Bounty game was a New World computing game that's seen as like the sort of original Heroes of Might and Magic, you know, 0.5. So when the, whatever the Russian company that came along and got that name was, they were deliberately going for this, uh, where we want to be seen as like successors to Heroes of Might and Magic. 
kind of vibe. But yeah, it doesn't have the strategic layer, and I think that's part of why I like it. I don't think that um, Heroes of Might and Magic really succeeded at having that strategic stuff you were just talking about be like the most interesting part of the game. Uh, it really bogs down into micromanagement once you get above like a medium-sized map. Uh, that's that's really my only major complaint with the series, but it's a such a common thing because like especially if you're doing the campaign, eventually you're going to hit large and super large maps, and um, then all of a sudden it's just like you're constantly moving your hero in and out of those mines over and over, and uh, yeah, that, that's my complaint. <laughs> It's a big one, but it's only one, really. Well, yeah, so I, I think there's... Yeah, part of it is, when the series was at its best, um, it, you're still dealing with very old-fashioned interfaces, and kind of the only solution to larger and larger managerial workloads is just to have you make the rounds. And that's how that's often how Heroes of Mind Magic does end up feeling uh, on bigger maps uh, as you expand it out where suddenly you're like, okay, check in with all my heroes there on the map, make sure they're doing stuff, uh, especially because there's all these buildings on the map, not just in town, but all these buildings yeah. on the map, that if you stop by, you will get a bonus. And so you kind of want people running around harvesting uh, these freebies that are out there on the map to make sure you're playing as efficiently as possible. And, and because especially as the game goes on and the single player, um, the solution to... The solution to to sort of scaling the single player up is just to throw more and more impossible scenarios at you uh, as the game goes on. So you really do need to be harvesting all that stuff. And then all your towns, you have to be swinging by and upgrading the buildings and making sure you're recruiting the right uh, characters and, and, well, the right the right army units. And then you have to have units like armies shuttling back to town to get the reinforcements because there's no way to basically to do anything. You have to walk there and get it in this game and that gets um it at least a lot of downtime too like you, you have an, you have an army out on the map and you have a choice between having a shuttle run of lesser heroes <laughs> ferrying troops out to that hero uh or they have to abort their run come all the way back probably just as they were making real progress freshen up get new troops go back out there and then retake old territory yeah, I think that's one reason why I don't think the games have aged all that well for me. And we've talked about this a bit before the podcast and, and at other times, that you know, going back and seeing a lot of these old classic games is sometimes pretty hard because we've been spoiled by some pretty decent interfaces and some sensible gameplay design decisions. I mean, there's no way you would design a game now where you know you have to go back to town for the general to grab the soldiers and then bring them back to the front again. I mean, even, you know, the total war games, the generals can now pretty much recruit from where they are and the soldiers will join them. And those are games, you know, for notorious uh, micromanagement. But even when they were originally designed, you could just build a bunch of soldiers with a general and they could walk out on their own. Here, the general, the heroes got to go back. Um, and that you could end up fighting the battles over and over again. That's why you generally need the second or third army just to protect stuff and hold the ground against you know weaker armies that might come along. Um, that's it gets quite tiring. Um, All right, but, but here's okay. So Rowan, go because then I'm gonna then I'm gonna drop some knowledge on you guys about why that why you're both wrong and the series is way more awesome than you give it credit for being. Rowan, go. Uh 
I just wanted to say, I don't think it's an issue of age. I think this was an issue when it came out, and like the Warlord series, which was probably my favorite fantasy strategy games, they had, you you had your cities able to transfer troops to other cities in those, and the first one came out in like 1988. Yep, and I it had the Warlord series. So, series is great. Um, I mean, it definitely didn't have the charm of Heroes of Might and Magic, but uh, it had it... other issues. I'm not saying that this is I mean, I'm not saying that this is the issue in every game. I'm saying that yeah. games of that era will have issues. Yeah, I'm, and I, this I'm, is this this is this game's issue. I, I'm just more 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 trying to say like, I'm not just saying why aren't we having the Warlords podcast right now? Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, I'm just like this was my critique at the time. I don't think it's an age thing. I think it's just uh, this is how these games are designed. They wanted to have this sort of pseudo RPG slash strategy vibe that led them down this path, as opposed to it being just simply that it's old. Yeah, and I don't think it's necessarily entirely a bad thing. But the the thing I wanted to the, the thing I wanted to get out get at about the series, and I, I still having sort of played three recently, and I've um, I I play uh, Heroes of My Magic two uh, every so often. And the thing about these games is that if you look at any individual part of a Heroes of Might and Magic game. It's simplicity bordering on shallow. Like, this is what actually got got me down about the King's Bounty games is that, honestly, I don't like the battle system well enough to just grind battles out in the Heroes of Might Magic system. Like, it's just not that interesting to me. Uh, similarly, the, the, the strategic layer is pretty straightforward. Like, yeah, there's resource management and there's some difficult decisions you have to make, but it's still it's still really basic it's still about you know picking out basically what's what town is going to get the most of your resources and your which ar- type of army you're going to pump the most into um there's a lot of these things in this game that if you if you took them in isolation i don't think they're all that impressive necessarily but here's what might and magic as a whole works really well because the 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 various parts are, are are so nicely balanced against one another. You know, you you run around on the map, you pick up your little army, you do a little bit of town management, you you move your heroes around and, and claim some new resource generating locations, then you go fight another army, and you're snapped into the simple little battle on this tiny little hex grid, and the two armies line up, uh, you know, on opposing sides of the field. They there's a little bit of maneuvering. There's a couple spells that get cast. Then the armies just sort of start whacking away, and you know, numbers probably do carry the day, but because of those issues we brought out about how difficult it is to get reinforcements out onto the map and all the pain in the ass it is to keep your top general supplied with with, with troops, um, it actually does really pay off to try to win as cleanly as possible. There's, there's just enough maneuvering uh, before the clash of the armies that you can actually really change the outcome of the battle and even steal a few major upsets. And I think that's something that... I go back and I play these games, and I'm like, this is what so many other games have, have tried and failed to do. They, they try to bring out, like, a fantasy strategy game has to have some kind of RPG component because that's what we do with fantasy universes. You have heroes <laughs> with stats and some sort of enchanted scepter of bullshit, whatever. You gotta have it. Um, you, but you're also making a strategy game, so you've got to have like city management and some sort of like strategic level. But then you got to have a tactical battle as well, because all of that somehow has to be in the game. And 
usually something goes horribly wrong with that formula somewhere in there. Um, but Heroes of Might and Magic, I think, kind of nails it because all those things are kept so dead simple. And the pacing is 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 so snappy, uh, even though there is eventually that that part where you're where you're kind of doing these shuttle runs with armies. But except for that, the pacing's pretty snappy, so that the game just hums along really really nicely. And I you know every time I come back to these games, I'm like, this is kind of this is kind of just a nicely balanced meal. All these things are are so easy and so effortless, um, and yet they they come together to be this this really challenging strategy game. I think um, you kind of mentioned it. What I what I like best about it when you mentioned that you go back and play Heroes Two and not Heroes Three, which is the one that's usually cited as the best game of them. But uh, these games are charming as hell, and the music, especially in Heroes Two, is Heroes fantastic. Two. Heroes Two, man. Yeah. So this is kind of the endless legend of the '90s. You know, the, it's yeah. I, I'm not really sure about the game itself, but it's really fun to just be in for a while. Well, as Endless Legend taught us, Rowan, you don't have to be sure about a game to love it. <laughs> well, I'm not entirely certain that I loved Endless Legend, but you know, um, it's it's a very good game, and I highly recommend it. And I would have I would have recommended the Heroes games also. I don't not quite at the same level. I don't think it had like the full coherence of um, style and substance that Endless Legend did. But I think it, for the '90s, it it was fairly close to that. And like the the Heroes Two soundtrack, which was like CD music with opera, you, can you can listen your, to it directly off it the CD. disc. Yep. Yeah, um, it should we should just like have interludes throughout the podcast of like the the Warlock Town with the uh, uh, baritone the, opera exactly singer. That's exactly the one I was thinking of. The Warlock Town. Every time I went into that town, it was badass. And, like, Which I think is why I tended to overinvest in warlock armies, even when it didn't necessarily make sense. I'd be like, "Well, going back to town to get my minotaur." Um, and and even though like chirpy map songs were really good, there's one of the field songs, or maybe it's like the the elf village music. But I mean, these are these are games that just had the production values really down. Especially, I think Heroes One and Two. Heroes Three tried to do a little more like realistic animation style that I never clicked with, but it's the one that has the most fans. So clearly, it it clicked with a lot of people. Yeah, I, I kind of felt like you know when I, when I went back and played three, I did kind of feel like. I don't know. I, I'm still like between two and three. I have a hard time picking which which was better necessarily. Uh, there's a lot of things I like about three. It just kind of feels like maybe the the most refined version of that old formula before the series completely went off the freaking rails. Uh, but at the same time, I will say like, you know, there's a reason two is the one I've kind of played on and off for like ten years, and three is this thing that I've just come to sort of late. Uh, but the other thing I, I just find endlessly satisfying to like just murder sprites by the thousands. <laughs> like just just have your red dragon breathe on some fairies and just watch eight hundred of them go up in flames. Oh my god, isn't that great? Like the the thing about the thing about here's my magic is all these towns have their trash units and then their higher level units and they all have the they all sort of scale 
differently and some have really powerful high-end units and some not so much but like every 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 town had its had its like trash unit that's produced by the 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 dozen at a time and just yeah you'd encounter these armies with like yeah a thousand little fairy sprites and just like one or two hits from a high level unit and they just all be dead it was great and it's probably for people who haven't played it i mean one thing that i think that one thing that distinguishes this game from the others is that you don't have squads of units. You don't have okay, you can only have like fifty pikemen in a unit or fifty soldiers. You have as many as you want. With some hard magic three, you can have like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them in one hex. There's no pretending this is an accurate measure of medieval frontage. <laughs> this is you know. You got pikemen, they're all standing in this hex, and they're all going to attack, you know, the three pixies on the other end of the map um, instead of, you know, squads and squad management. So it's not really, I mean, we call it, I guess, tactical, but as you said earlier, uh, Rob, this isn't a game with the war game part, the battles really aren't about tactics as much as high-level units, smashing low-level units, getting the numbers in the right place. You know, terrain is almost always irrelevant. Um, the sieges are. I'm not. Sh- I'm not sure if I can walk through the walls or not. My griffins can fly over them, maybe, kind of, and some dude in a tower is shooting at me. There, it looks like you know the bio tapestry. Everyone's in the exact same perspective. You're not even quite sure the distances between people. It's this weird, weird look. And I, I think watching those numbers, you know, having you know, an archangel just go through la da 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 da, cutting people's off, heads off like daisies, almost, uh, with his fiery sword because he's just so damn strong over you know your typical trash units. It it's a nice little bit of, I guess, you know, it's a it's the D and D effect, right? These are the high level dudes. You can just wipe out as many gnolls and goblins as you want, because no one cares about gnolls and goblins. <laughs> and on that racist note, uh... <laughs> it's yeah, it's A D and D. You know, everyone, yeah. everyone was a little bit racist in D in D and D in the nine in the early nineties. Um, what do you think of the magic system? Because all of these games also have in the place of there's here always there's magic spells and there are also magic units. Um, but you have to, you know, you get your spell book and you learn new spells and you can pick up spells as you go through the map. You know, you run into some wild wizard and they'll teach you some new fire spell or some new earth spell. Um, do you ever feel that magic is, because the battles are so unusual um, and not always that difficult if you have a big army, if you're shuttling your armies well, you won't lose a battle. The trick is not letting your weakened army get caught by a larger army, more or less. Has magic ever really turned the tide of a battle for you? I mean, you go back and you, you go back and play this a lot, Rob. I haven't played. This is the first one that I've played in like probably a decade. I I think you know the the thing is what I found the most effective is honestly like things to empower certain of my troops. Like I've rarely found the direct damage spells all that effective like this is not a thing where i'm like winning battles because i've got some sort of like meteor nuclear strike that will just like kill off the enemy's best units like rarely does magic is magic powerful enough to to do that for me where i can we're gonna turn the battle around especially because you only cast one spell per per turn per round yeah um but what what i do find like 
what I tend to find the, the most effective use of magic in this game, uh, the old magic is the best. Uh, you know, a haste spell so that one of your, <laughs> you know, mo- like one of your slower units that can do a ton of damage, uh, they get faster, higher initiative, I think, and uh, greater movement. And so you can get them into the fray uh much much faster and that can turn the tide of a battle or you can give someone uh like a a stone skin spell that'll let them tank damage longer than they should be able to so things like that i i find have have definitely uh been been able to turn the tide um so you say yeah i would say magic is powerful but not like overly powerful rowan what, what would you say uh, one of my favorite things is when I have those trash heroes who are, like, shuttling troops and they get caught. I like to just have them cast the Armageddon spell, which just, like, damages everything on the on the map. So I can do a, do a like, suicide run with those guys. Um, yeah, it's, it's in there. I think the interesting thing about it as a system is that it isn't really a system. It's just, you know, you get some spells from upgrading your your mage guild in town and then you use mana on them and that's about it there's no it's a it's a very old-fashioned rpg sort of thing yes. there's no like there's no there's no twist to it at any point and um there's no real twist to progression or anything i think when you we're comparing it to master of magic which is like it's it's closest parallel in terms of chronology um that's there but the thing that separates heroes of might and magic is that there's not a sense of progression beyond economics like it's just you make your towns bigger with gold um there's no there's no sense of technology there's no sense of like i'm researching these things it's just you buy a few more options here and there um and that i think is why it's primarily like a scenario based game where you do you know smaller maps instead of the grand campaigns of master of magic and you know sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't but uh I think that's that's a notable difference and one that has kind of spread through the fantasy strategy genre not entirely well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a Age of Wonders in particular seems to be pretty divided between whether it is a uh, sort of scenario-based game or a grand campaign. Yeah, you know, this this actually brings up something else I want to discuss, which is that a game like this, a game balanced this way to to, to operate a certain way, it, ha- it definitely has a sweet spot. And I think you're right. That That is why it's scenario-driven, though. I would say it makes for a pretty good multiplayer game as well. Uh, be, you know, because the thing I like about the multiplayer is um, the single-player scenarios tend to stack the deck. And, and so you have a starting location where you're just sort of ringed by like giant monsters and so there's a long slog just to break out of your starting area and then the enemies have taken over the map and you got to go from there. there there's a whole bunch of crap you got to deal with and and i haven't cared for it i think multiplayer dispenses with some of that and you discover a pretty fun simple strategy game sort of cat and mouse with armies and sort of denying the other guy resources all that said it's not a grand strategy game. It's not really a 4X per se. Like, yeah, you explore, you definitely capture new resource locations, but yeah, there's not this, like, the, 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 you don't have all those other factors of, like, towns, you don't have to do anything to make towns grow in a certain way. Yeah, there's no sense of, like, tech progression, that kind of thing. You're kind of stuck on one level, and all you can do is produce more and slightly better of, of the same stuff you had at the start. And I think that works out because it means that um, 
all the game's constituent parts still matter equally much. Like they 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 all they, they all carry about the same weight in terms of importance. Um, so you end up with a, you end up with a situation where your results in battle are important because troops are hard to replace because of distance and because you know a lot of your special troops only produce a handful every week and then you got to wait like a full cycle of seven days before that population is replenished so eating those kinds of losses is very bad um expanding out to more cities gives you a lot more gold but you can't just outproduce the other guy and produce so many soldiers that you just sort of sweep them aside it's very rare it's very rare there's enough resources on the map where you can just sort of spend your way to victory. And what I think a lot of other games sort of trying to ape the the fantasy strategy game uh, mold set out by like Master Magic and, and Heroes of Might and Magic, where a lot of these things go wrong is that a lot of the values of a Forex game don't reside easily alongside a fantasy game. Uh, where you have the sense of progress and improvement. And I think, like, you know, I'll, I'll single out the um, Elemental series here uh, and Fallen Enchantress, where that is a series that improved, uh, but I have never found the tactical combat remotely that important because fundamentally my success is determined on the Forex layer. How am I doing at this Forex game? And that kind of trumps anything, that, or if I'm, if I'm doing well, that pretty much trumps anything that's going to happen in these tactical battles, because ultimately that is a 4X game. And I think that's something that, because here's a Might, Might and Magic kind of freezes everything at this, in this one particular uh, state, and you can't really progress outside of that, it ends up working from start to finish in a way that I think a lot of other like fantasy strategy games have struggled to do. I think, I mean, I'm not even sure this is a fantasy thing so much as the fantasy genre seems to be married to the idea of having tactical combat. And I don't know why this is. I mean, if if I were to look at the two fantasy strategy games that I, like, felt the most satisfied with, like Warlords, not tactical combat, and I just have a blast with Warlock 2, like, yeah. not tactical combat. And, um, you know ever since master of magic had it they feel like they seem to feel like they have to have it and do you think that that's like something that because it's fantasy people want to see each individual elf pulling their uh pulling their bowstrings or whatever or is is that just like because master of magic was so dominant and then heroes of might and magic reinforced it that um we're kind of stuck with that idea i think it's the idea that i think it is you want to see all of the units do their thing there's the idea of these Armies in most 4X games aren't really armies. They are units. You're moving a phalanx. It represents a bunch of phalanxes, but you're moving a phalanx across the map. For some reason, a lot of fantasy games, you have these uh, mixtures, more important, you have these mixtures of units. You have this army's got, it's got a wizard, and it's got some archers. You know, it's, it's got your Gandalf, it's got your Legolas's, it's got your Bilbo's. It's got all these things in them, and you want to see them all do their tricks. I think that's probably part of it. You know, this is a motley crew trying to fight things out together. You don't see that as much in uh, historical strategy games where you have, if you do have armies that are combined, they're relatively simple. Um, there aren't a whole lot of combinations of units. 
You know, so, you know, you, at the war game level, you do, but at the war game, you already have the tradition of, well, this shit represents a bunch of tanks, and that little dot means there's artillery with them, too, so have some fun. So that's already there. You don't need to fight it out. Um, and really, the only, the only historical strategy game that had this type of combat was the Cult of Power games. They have t- uh, the Activision Civilization Cult of Power and then Cult of Power 2, where, again, you had combination, you had combined armies, and they would go along and they'd fight each other. And then you'd have this tactical battle, and it would suck. <laughs> and that would be that. There's no shortage of historical tactical combat games. Like, if you look at oh, yeah, the success of something like... Yeah, so but I mean, like... If you look at something like the success of Age of Empires, like a lot of that success comes from its sort of um, symbolic representation of, you know, great units in history or great, great fighting troops in history, you know, and like that would seem to have the same. Real time strategy games are different, though. There you have, you know, you have your you, you build an archer and this is your archer and you just draw a circle around them to bang into each other. I mean, that's not really armies marching around a map doing things. I'm, I'm just using it as, yeah. a, as okay. an example of the appeal. Like Something yeah. like Total oh, sure. War does it too. Yeah. Um, especially like the initial release Total Wars. Like I, I worked on one of the mod teams for Rome that was just like, none of these units are historically accurate. Why do we still have these chariots with the Greek-Egyptian armies and stuff like that? And, you know, it's because these are like the symbolic ideas, yeah. just like your your army of Bilbo's. Like, I feel right. like it's uh, like the, that same level of symbolism or a similar level of symbolism does exist with historical strategy game. It's just doesn't, that's not the default that people resort to. Right. And I, I don't know why. Because civilization is a default. Yeah. And then master of magic became the default. And then heroes of might and magic came, became like the split default. The both default. of those. Had. Yeah. 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 And, and well, and, and that's the thing. And this is something like Paul Dean and I discussed ages ago on our um, two minute hate on uh, sci-fi 4x which is that a lot of the touchstone works in 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 the in a certain in the certain subset of strategy games in a certain niche uh genre they end up casting a longer shadow than they should you know what i mean like pete like everyone's like man we're, we're just looking back at the old classics we're we're working in the tradition of master of magic and it's like dude like when's the last time like when's the last time you actually played master of magic i remember we did a show on it for three moves ahead not so long ago it wasn't bad when we were done with the show i was like okay i'm not playing that thing again <laughs> it was like the, these things these things were great in their time but then they then they end up becoming these reference points that you almost like you have to go and like kiss the ring with your design uh, if you're going to be accepted uh, accepted within the genre, and I, I'm not sure that's a good thing. It's, yeah, you know, it, it's it's not a good thing. And in sci-fi games, the, the the default is you always design the ships. If you can't design the ships, it's not a proper 4x sci-fi. I game. hate designing ships. Oh my exactly. god! Exactly. Well, this is this is the thing. Like, I mean, this is this is why, like, you know, Chris King's working on a former Paradox designer, a, a good friend of the show. Uh, Chris King is working on a game called Galactic Inheritors. It's on a uh, Steam Early Access, and 
you know, when when he told me that he was making a sci-fi four X, like he saw me cringe, like I couldn't help it. Like you know, he's like, I've left Paradox, I've gone to make a sci-fi four X, and it was like having a friend tell you he has cancer or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm leaving my I'm leaving my wife and kids and running away with my secretary. And you're like, like cool. I have a great idea for a MOBA. Oh God, no. <laughs> I know, but then oh, he was like, terrible. but don't worry, Rob, you won't, you won't design any ships in my game. There's no ship design. Uh, so already, it's 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 probably better than half the genre. <laughs> I mean, it's like, if that's optional, I don't necessarily mind it, and sometimes it's fun to fiddle. But it's also, in that in that particular case, you know, this genre goes back to the first Master of Orion. Most of the time it goes back to the second Master of Orion. But the first Master of Orion had actually a very Heroes of Might and Magic-like combat system where you designed, like, you had five core ships and you just, like, shoved numbers in them. And when you got to the battle system, it was just those five types with however, you know, many hundreds or thousands of those ships you happen to have, I think. There might have been multiple forms of ships. It might not have been you could only have them, but you only had like five groups of ships. Yeah. But it's definitely a case where like you look at – I think the similarity between like the, the, the sci-fi strategy game and the fantasy strategy game is they both sort of stumble, I think, over the, the, the question of what should matter to you <laughs> in a game like this. Like, like exactly what – are you in these games you know in a war game usually you can you can say like you're at a certain level of command you know you're you're commanding core you're commanding entire armies or maybe you're commanding like in you're playing tactical game you're commanding platoons squads whatever in strategy games a lot of times you're you're occupying an abstract role to begin with like civilization you're you're what the guiding spirit of a cartoon version of your civilization something like that i don't know yeah but I think it's even weirder when when you're talking about something like fantasy, and there's all this other stuff that's baked into the DNA. Like why why are we commanding these tactical battles? Why do you have to have these little fantasy units on the battlefield for it to sort of count as, as a fantasy game? And I'm not entirely sure. Like what 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 role exactly are, are you filling? Is this because? on some level you're sort of paying respect to like D and D minis. And this is, this is what you do with, with fantasy armies. You, you put them on the tabletop and you, you watch them bang into each other. But the, the, the problem is like, I, where, where heroes of my magic works really well is that it doesn't have its heart too set on being a particularly good strategy game or a particularly good tactical game. It's just okay at both, and that ends up being a really kind of delicious combination. It's simple. It's, it's peanut butter and jelly. Uh, but the problem is anyone working in the genre since then kind of has to set their sights a little higher, right? I'm not going to be I'm not, I'm not going to be some like baby strategy game. We're going to we're mm-hmm. going to do a full 4x, but it's also going to have a really deep tactical system and your spells are totally going to matter because there's heroes. And once you start trying to get all those things going at once, you've actually got a game that I think is pulling in really different directions. Yeah, I... I mean, I think I talked about this a lot on the Age of Wonders 3 podcast, but yeah, it's it's basically what, as soon as you split the game too far, then something is going to be better, and that will inherently make something else worse in a chore. So by <laughs> Heroes of Might and Magic making both sides just kind of okay, like neither of them really becomes the chore and that makes it it's it's a super playable series like you can just sit down and um 
lose three hours to it i don't know that you'll be like really satisfied at the end of those three hours sometimes you will and sometimes you won't be but um it's it's got that just one turn nailed and it's not like a civilization just one turn where it's like oh my god one more turn and i built this library and then i'm gonna have my research right and all this it's just like yeah this is fun to click on stuff we talk about just how how garish the art is in here i knew you're i I can can feel you winding up that pitch it's just it's this glorious colorful mess on the maps like like you had the Candyland was having a Ren fair and everyone <laughs> threw up. Can we make that the title of the episode? <laughs> it's like Candyland vomit everywhere. We have you know, these great glowing chunks of gems sitting around and these tree houses where you pick up stuff and monsters, you know, idling around. And it is just this, I mean, compared to how in many ways, stayed and boring the battle maps are in Heroes of Might and Magic 3. The map, the strategic surface map, is full of bright colors. I mean, yeah, maybe it's D&D minis. It's just really brightly painted D&D minis with somebody who only has the really brightest, most garish robin red uh, around uh, in their palette. And it's, it looks like... I'm going to another Endless Legend comparison. And I'll create a Broken Earth. I'm sorry, Beyond Earth. Broken Earth. Beyond Earth. There is a problem, and it's mentioned a lot in art, in strategy games, in video games in general, and in, you know, movies, that there's this emphasis on dark colors and grays and browns and chrome steel type things that make... Uh, that are supposed to be, you know, they're more hardcore, they're grim, dark, they're whatever. Strategy games, and I think the, my favorite strategy games, are the ones that say it's a big, bright, beautiful world. Uh, and Endless Legend has this filled beautiful, with death, yeah, filled with aliens or whatever, <laughs> and skeleton swordsmen um, that have that recognize that the world is not full of grays and browns all the time. Um, so many of the Beyond Earth random maps, not all of them, but many of them, are just you know boring brown muddy slogs. And then you look at Endless Legend, and it is gloriously bright everywhere. Um, Elemental Fall on Earth, yes, it's a post-apocalyptic world, and it starts in a dis- rather disgusting feces brown world that you have to make that you have to make green and you do make green by settling it and expanding it but here's a might and magic says how many colors do you want how many skittles can we throw in your face and it's i'm not sure whether i'm supposed to but they're supposed to make the game lighter or brighter or more cheery or they're just saying hey we've got 256 colors let's use them yeah, I, I mean, I think it is worth noting that, like, I think the first one came out right as Super VGA was hitting, and it yeah. was like, yep, we're taking advantage of all of this. Um, did you guys ever play uh, the Might and Magic games of the era, the role-playing game side of the series? I played the first and second one. Uh, yeah, that, uh, yeah, I, I played it too. You Go on. Well, the... The ones that had just come out at this point were three through five, or maybe it was four. Th- no, it was three through five. And then um, six, seven, and eight came out like after Heroes of Might and Magic, and they kind of integrated with Heroes of Might and Magic. But Might and Magic three through five are built on 
they're kind of like party-based Diablo. Like, they're built on this idea of just being super fast, super fun, um, but they also have all these colors and things that they're just throwing at you. It's like, why not skeletons? Why not whatever? And you're just bouncing around um, these weird alien worlds that have orcs in them for whatever reason. Um, and they're sort of like the last vestige of the uh, the 80s um, kind of science fantasy throw everything at the wall thing, like how... Ultima One has you go shoot TIE fighters or whatever. Um, the Might and Magic series is the last like last game that kind of kept that as just this is a fun, goofy thing. Like Wizardry and Final Fantasy sort of integrated into their stories where um, Ultima just kind of said, no, we're, that, that science fiction stuff would, didn't, didn't happen. Um, but the Might and Magic series was always like, yeah, why the hell not? And it's a it's a really good sort of representation of the same sort of design of just throw throw everything that you kind of want to see at the wall. And uh, they're also just really attractive games. Like I played uh, Might and Magic 3 a bunch recently, and it's still a good-looking game. I mean, the resolution's not good, but it's this bright, colorful water world filled with blues and marbles and stuff like that. And um, uh, Heroes seems to take a whole lot from that. Yeah, I mean, I... I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure I go as far as you do, Troy. Like I still, I like how vibrant, vibrant and, and oh, silly I, I, the the world I looks. Wasn't, I wasn't saying it was a bad thing. I was saying it's 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 a thing. I wasn't necessarily putting it in negative. It is it is eye searingly glorious to <laughs> okay, see a game to see a, to see a game this colorful and bright. It took me a while to adjust my thinking to it but yeah i mean i i like color in my strategy games it's great i i do think um for this for the hd re- remake of heroes might magic 3 i i think they sort of punt uh punched it up too like i i think if you compare like screenshots of the original three and then the the hd remake it kind of looks like they sort of made everything a little bit more vibrant even than that uh which may have been inadvisable slightly uh but but yeah it's um but it's you know it's not just that the the color palette is is bonkers it's that there is so much going on in the map yes. in this game like every to the point where there's i think there are readability issues because it, it there's actually very little on a heroes of might and magic map that is not somehow interactive you know what i mean like it's it, yeah. like a t- it's not just a tile that's sitting there that hut is not decorative that's a witch who lives there and she's got a thing to teach you and that tree is not a tree it's a tree house that will let you get a lookout position on the entire world around you uh every single thing crammed in there has another purpose and at the start of a at the start of a scenario, certainly, it's also packed full of just like random groups of monsters. So I mean, it's just it, it it's it, it's sort of it is jam packed, and I think it is going with that kind of um, everything about the game sort of goes with that 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 the thing Rowan was just describing of you just keep sort of stuffing it full of of ridiculously ridiculous fantasy stuff like anything you want in your game will will be in this game and that's why there it like like try to tell me like what exactly the 
what, what's the ontology of Heroes of Might and Magic World, right? Like all these things live side by side. Like what? Like how does how does this work? What's not in this world? What what are the governing principles of of this world of Heroes of Might and Magic, where you've got sprites and halflings and crusaders and warlocks and all this stuff from every myth- mythological system you can name? It's all thrown in there. They all live side by side, and they all freaking hate each other. Except for when they don't, because it turns out if you just t- take their city, then like hell yeah, let's let's uh, let's uh, let's get on side. You you should write the the political history of Heroes of Might and Magic World. <laughs> but, oh yeah, one of the interesting one of the interesting things about the RPGs is that they add aliens to the whole mix. Uh, they're you're like there's spaceships and like it the if you play i think it's might and magic seven which it takes place in the same world as heroes three um it's like the demon invasion of heroes three is actually an alien force that the fantasy people call demons so yeah there's even more to it than that yeah i think you had a friend who who was really into the heroes and the and the might and magic series uh tell me that like somehow they were all alternating like the the one game sort of led into led into the next, at least for a few of those games. Yeah, um, um, Heroes Two became the setting for Might and Magic Six, and then Heroes Three became the setting for Might and Magic Seven, which those those were all kind of in the same world. And then Heroes Heroes Four and Eight and Might and Magic Eight and stuff those went off onto different worlds, but they they're still doing it. Um, like might the might and magic 10 that just came out takes place in the same world that they like the previous world got destroyed and everyone traveled to a new world so that's why everything's the same but the mythology is totally different i don't know but yeah they're still doing that you know another thing that uh here's a might and magic 2 had going for it the three doesn't is uh lack of cutscenes <laughs> here's a might and magic 3 has some of those early you know like mid to late 90s cutscenes where everyone looks like they're made out of a rubber suit and uh <laughs> plus you get the full like heroes of might and magic 3 is certainly unrestrained and it's sort of peak D second like battle bra era uh vision of fantasy like like man there there is certainly a lot of like <laughs> high heels and go-go boots going on in uh in here's my magic three it is a land of impractical armor so we know this yeah so i want to talk a little bit well as we wind down here um obviously the series i'm not sure really has a happy ending uh because three is kind of the last of the of the classic series and then things kind of seem to jump the shark and i'll be honest that my knowledge of the later games is not that great like who here's actually played uh, like four, five, and six, and is there anything there salvageable? I reviewed six actually, and I liked it. Like the formula is still pretty reasonable. Um, it's just uh, like there was no reason for me to like go back and try to keep playing it after I finished the review. It was just like, yep, this is this is another strategy game. It works. Um, if you get it, you'll probably have fun. It was still charming. The music, like all video game music, is a lot more boring than it was 15 years ago. Um, but yeah, it's. I, and I think that one was kind of a, a slight return to decency after uh, after four, especially. I think five was it got a little more a little more balanced response. But I didn't play four or five. 
I do think there is a happy ending, and I can't remember its precise name, but the puzzle game that they did, um, yet another spinoff, was so good. Spinoffs. Clash of Heroes. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that that's came for out the, in two. Okay, that's the DS? No. That's for. It's for everything. Okay. It's on Steam. It's on. Uh, whatever but it's a it's like a little strategic slash puzzle slash rpg sort of thing it, you'd put it probably put it in the same genre as puzzle quest but uh it's just fantastic and it's like this is like every bit of this really works well and uh they should maybe have just switched their uh switched their focus over to making slightly smaller strategy style mm. games than uh tried to do beat the same old uh same old thing into the bush but i just wanted to mention that as like yeah uh one of the best things to come out of the uh constant reminder of heroes of might and magic so what was it that, that sucked about the other games uh because like because it seems like people really turned on a series with the venom and they're not the real games was it just a a hey it's not no no world making them anymore i want no part of this or did, did things seriously go off the rails i think it's the pacing that you were talking about mm-hmm. i think that they slowed down a lot as happened in the early 2000s you know they're trying to get all their 3d graphics in there and um that tends to like this is a game that relies on its rhythm as you mentioned yeah um but i'm i'm since i was on the wikipedia page um i'm trying to uh see it this doesn't even have a reference or a reception what use are you wikipedia without a reception (laughs) (laughs) troy did you did you stick with the series at all or did you kind of uh, i didn't i I pretty much you know bailed after four played a bit of four and then i got um uh distracted by other things uh, fantasies I like fantasy games, but I mean, it's it was a former that I was seeing over and over again within the Disciples games and the King's Bounty games. It wasn't something that I felt the need to keep coming back to. I'm kind of glad I'm kind of glad that we're doing it this show because it, it gave me a chance to go back and play Heroes of Might and Magic, and it did stuck in my brain as the you know the best of these series. Um, and Hom Three, I mean the HD version, it's it's okay. Um, it's it's a pretty decent remastered version. Yeah. All right. So so reading the reception for Heroes of Might and Magic Five, it says that it was generally favorable, and uh, people seem to like it after it returned to uh, the conventions of the previous games, where Heroes of Might and Magic Four seemed to streamline things and had it so that like you didn't need heroes to be in your army, and heroes appeared on the map. Um, so it it seems like it tried new and different things and getting away from new world computing. Yeah, I thought, and... I, I, thought I remember about four the um, uh, the heroes and three the one two and three the heroes are off doing their own. They're just casting spells. But four, you get the heroes on the map, which was a change, but a significant change. Um, yeah, Heroes 6 seems to also have been well-liked. I remember that, uh, and this is, actually, I forgot to bring this up when you mentioned it, Rob, is the, the multiplayer, people did not like it because it was overbalanced. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just reminded me that you, since you were talking about how you'd played Heroes multiplayer, like, I never really did. Like, I played, like, a game or two, but it was never, like, a thing. But I know uh, the people who loved it were, like, multiplayer fans. So I was wondering if you had played the multiplayer much, Troy. No, I had not. 
Yeah, and this might be sort of sort of the issue is that like it's the um the pacing and stuff feels really good if you play it with other people but if you're focused on the single player then the then the issues well, uh kind of surpass that maybe yeah i think the multiplayer it's 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 definitely interesting because in the multiplayer there's a lot of idle time like you can look at things but it still goes sequentially so there's an awful lot of twiddling your thumbs while everyone else goes uh so so that can be an issue but I think yeah, it just it gains so much from not sort of hamstringing the early game the way the scenarios all do. Yeah, uh, that, that it kind of balances out that it, that it does tend to have a nice a nice rhythm. I think it's a lot easier to play multiplayer now when you can all be on Skype and shooting the shit uh, than yeah. it was like in the dial-up era. I mean, I'm a latecomer to multiplayer here because I, <laughs> I think like these games, yeah, they had a multiplayer community uh, back in an era when I was struggling to just get online. Uh, so yeah, they, it's, it was never something I did much of. They they had their ladders where they like posted their IP addresses on the forums and were like, "I'm hosting a game for the next hour." And yeah, the good old days. Before all you kids came along and ruined the internet. <laughs> we made it too easy, and then all the peons showed up. I guess it's peasants for this game, huh? Thanks, AOL. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I mean. Is there a lot to take away from this game for modern designs, or is this kind of a singular thing? Like this, because you know I described earlier. I think part of the problem is people try to to riff on the design and take parts, bits and pieces of it, and I'm not sure that works entirely well. But I'm kind of curious. Like, do, do you think there's a lot of places to go from Heroes of Might and Magic, uh, or do you think maybe it's a touchstone that shouldn't be one? I think at this point it probably shouldn't be one, but just because like we we've we've touched that stone, um, there's a, that it's it's been a tourist attraction. <laughs> um, I think that uh, the um, the main thing to take away is aesthetics. Like if you look at this, part of the reason that this game is so impressive is that they don't give a shit about consistency. Like, they're just like, let's put some cool stuff in here. And I think that's a general modern game design thing is, no, we have to be super serious and make all this work together or be totally goofy. And Heroes isn't either of those. It's just kind of, you know, here's some cool stuff. Knock yourself out with it. And I think that sort of level of comfort in its own skin is uh, something that games could definitely uh, relearn from. Yeah, I think this is, this is, a, this is a design artifact. Um, it's probably going to keep going in a lot of different ways. I mean, the design is it's a simple design, so it will probably survive for a long time on mobile and PC and, you know, uh, other platforms because it is so tried and true. But I'm not sure there's much left to be done with it beyond, you know, making the other layers more interesting or having more interaction between the two layers. I do like Rowan's point that it's a sign you shouldn't care about consistency in your art style. I think that will really only work um, for a certain type of game. And I think a game like this, a fantasy world that really doesn't have much of a story, even in the campaign, uh, that doesn't take itself far too seriously. The whole point is to ride around and see the whole map and talk to wizards and cast spells so i think it works for something kind of like this um 
And again, the Endless Legend comparison, I think, is a, is a good one. Why not have these thousand things that could never have ever existed in the same cultural space on a planet? Um, so there's, I, I guess that's a nice, uh, that is one interesting thing uh, that you could take away from, at least from Hearts of Heroes of Might and Magic 3 <laughs> and 2 and 1. But I can't wait for Hearts of Might and Magic. <laughs> hearts of Might and Magic. My heart is strong. Then you'll get the Hearts of Iron Might and Magic crossover we all yeah. deserve. God. Yeah, then you'll get your then you'll get your battle lines, Rob. Oh God. <laughs> Create, creating an army group of of <laughs> sprites and halflings. Uh, just as a side note to the charm thing, I think the first Heroes of Might and Magic is one of the probably the only like turn-based or slow-paced game i ever remember my little sister playing with me um it was just had an immediate appeal even to like 10 year old girls that uh strategy games in general don't seem to want to appeal to 10 year old girls anymore so well i don't you know i don't know they were just (laughs) unaware of it right just just often you tell you tell a developer like you know this game's really popular with like you know women girls right there's like kind of huh Really? Uh, yeah, you know, I was I was thinking though, because because I'm with you guys. I think things have have kind of moved on, and I think maybe something good that comes of all these re-releases is that you're able to encounter these games again in a modern context, and not just through this like haze of nostalgia. And you can actually be a lot like playing playing here some might and magic. It's a lot easier to understand that game's pros and cons uh, than it is to sort of just have the the idea of Heroes of Might and Magic somewhere in your brain, right? Like, pl- playing it now, I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't need more of this. Like, I'm glad it exists. I Like, I like the game, but I've got Heroes of Might and Magic, and I think I've got pretty much, about, like, most of the interesting things that are going to come of that formula. And it's like, yeah, there's, there, I'm not sure there's that much to, to keep returning from. Like, you know, the, the, things have been advanced from there. People have gone in different directions. And you're probably better off, uh, you know, sort of sort of walking away from this idea because it is it, it's a very it's a very singular game. And the, and the problem is anything you do to try to improve it will will probably end up, you know, breaking it apart a little bit. Sounds good. Yeah. So that's Heroes of Might and Magic. Pretty cool. It's good that it exists. Time to bury it. <laughs> no, I, I've had I've had a great time revisiting it though. Um, I, I I don't know. I hope you, I hope you guys did too. And I definitely <laughs> think if, if you haven't uh, if you haven't played a Heroes of Might Magic game uh, in a while, I think you you could probably do worse than than getting the HD remake that that Ubisoft released, uh, or going to good old games and buying the um, sort of ridiculously huge. Uh, Old school. Here's my Magic Three, which you can which you can mod to 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 be high res and uh, fa- fairly modern looking. Uh, about how far did you get while you were playing it? Were you just doing the the campaign? I was doing the campaign, some multiplayer. Um, yeah. You found someone to play multiplayer with you? you know, they did the re-release. Yeah, there, there's there's a scene, man. There's people online. Um, yeah, I think. Like I had a thing where, like, every four years, I would say, "Okay, this is the time I'm beating Heroes of Might and Magic 3. Oh God, no! <laughs> and I would get to like the same point in the campaign, which was like, yep. you know, there's like three layers of it, and I'd get like halfway through the second layer, and I'd be like, <coughs> I'm I'm just done. And the last time I said I've I've been done at this point every time for the last hmm. 
three times I've done to, I've attempted to do this, I should probably just take that as a sign that that's where the game gets boring. But for you know those ten twenty hours of um, the early scenarios and whatever, I had a good time. God, I shouldn't say this, but no, there's there's tons of games like this that that. You know, you think one of these, boy, that's a great game, it's a classic. One of these days I'll go back and uh, play it again. This time I'll really beat it. And you just grind to a halt every time, same place. Um, that's me, like, honestly, I like, I never beat Thief. <laughs> every single time. Like, the second time you go back to the, the old, like, Hammer Cathedral in the forgotten, the, in the, uh, what is it, Forgotten Quarter, or whatever the hell it is, the abandoned part of the, uh, of the city, um, I have played that game like four or five times, make it to the same mission, take a little break, never go back. Yeah, it's uh, Final Fantasy XII for me. The first time I played it, I was like, yeah, I like this. This is pretty cool. Got to a certain point, kind of got a little stuck, kind of didn't really feel motivated to get unstuck, left it, and then went back a year or two later, got to that point, got stuck, got unmotivated, and realized maybe I don't actually like this game. Well, it's Final Fantasy XII. Yeah. Yeah, it's, that's that was probably inevitable realization. <laughs> yeah, there there are some people who love it. I just think they're wrong. You know, there's a lot of people who, who will do anything to convince themselves they love it. <laughs> this is the nature of Final Fantasy. <laughs> but that is another topic, and we are not going there tonight. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's our Final show. Fantasy podcast. Yeah, we we are we're going to steer clear of that. Uh, that does it for our show on Here's Might Magic. We'll be back next week with, uh, I hope, a show on Sunless Sea, which quite a few of us have been playing and enjoying. Uh, so until then, uh, this has been Three Moves Ahead. Good night. Good night. Cool.